Our our cameraman Aaron is getting all the things running here on our end. Is are you good? I gotta do the. All right, well, welcome back, podcast audience, to another episode of the MC Podcast. I'm Andrew Crabtree, joined by my dad, Lynn Crabtree, and uh, and on the phone with us on on the uh, the computer, we've got Dr. Galen Erickson from the University of Nebraska Lincoln. Uh, Dr. Erickson, thanks for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to be here. Uh, before we get too in depth here, uh, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience and and uh, what you do at, at University of Nebraska, and maybe what led you into doing beef research? Yeah, happy to. Um, I am on faculty here at the University of Nebraska. I have a research and extension appointment as well as do a little teaching. Um, I am the beef feedlot extension specialist, and most of my research program is pretty focused on feedlot cattle nutrition, but really it covers the gamut of, of growing and finishing beef cattle. Um, been on staff for, for almost 20 years. Uh, grew up in Iowa. Um, and a beef operation in Northeast Iowa, and then uh, came out here for my graduate degrees and was hired on uh, after that. So we do a lot of focused work in the beef nutrition work. We're blessed with uh, excellent research facilities, excellent graduate students that really do a lot of the work. And um, and so pretty proud of our program. We put out our annual reports, and uh, that's all available online at beef.unl.edu. So if you ever want to see anything research-wise that we're doing here at Nebraska or extension work, uh, it's accessible there. You know, we got into this silage area because we thought that uh, when we were doing the math, uh, we thought that this was one of the most economical decisions for our beef producers. And uh, probably since 2011, 2012, when we saw an increase in grain prices, um, ever since then, we've been kind of focused on how does silage fit in beef situations. So uh, b- before I want to, so the, the focus of this po- podcast, and so our listeners know what's coming, uh, the, 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 the focus of this podcast is using, using silage, corn silage on, on beef and feedlot operations. Uh, before we get to that, I have one more question. I'm going to go off book, and I did not send this to you in my pre-approved questions, so Sorry. you can you can tell me to leave it alone, but I just felt like I had to ask, okay, because <laughs> I bet no other podcast has ever asked you this question, okay? I looked up your profile on the University of Nebraska's website. And I was kind of just as I was writing out questions and I just want to make sure I had your title right and everything. And uh, it says that on your profile on the University of Nebraska, it says you're you have a doctorate in philosophy. Yeah. So are you a philosopher or, or how, what's the story there? <laughs> no, that's just a degree name. Uh, OK, so so a Ph.D. means a doctorate in philosophy. Uh, all we do is is we learn the scientific method, although my favorite undergraduate classes were philosophy classes, okay. particularly uh, introduction to logic. And uh, you'd be amazed, especially in political seasons, how many fallacies, uh, fa- fallacies <laughs> that people make for arguments. But so do I like philosophy in general? Yes. Am okay. I a philosopher? Probably not. Okay. I saw a doctor <laughs> of philosophy and, you know, degrees so are often named. About football, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. there is no football, right? No, I mean, Nebraska's right. Big Ten, and that's already done. So, that's right. uh, well, let's 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 talk about about silage on on beef operations. So, you kind of started on this a little bit, but but what at what point uh, in your career, and what led you maybe to to thinking that silage was a was a good option for those guys? 
Well, yeah, I mean, silage is a is an age old ingredient, right? Everybody's everybody knows what silage is. So, what is there? What's the new news about it? Well, what led us down this path was the the grain price increase in 2012. We actually, you know, most people could see that was kind of coming, and um, because it was because it was demand driven not supply up disruption that happens periodically from year to year. So we saw this demand increase coming and saw that that unless production kept pace, we were going to see a pretty big spike in grain prices. So I think uh, Terry Klofestein, who's uh, been a colleague and mentor of mine really forever, uh, he and I were talking and we thought, you know, we need to revisit this silage thing. Because if you look back in the work in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of work done in Minnesota and Iowa and Illinois uh, and Wisconsin on use of silage. And that was because grain prices were high. And, and everybody kind of remembers the age old advice that if grain prices are high, silage makes more sense. So that's what led us into this. But the, it's different today than it was back then in the, in the old days. And the reason it's different is now we're also feeding it with distillers grains. And mm -hmm. so we thought, let's revisit this, especially silage for use in growing and finishing programs, because now we don't know how it's gonna interact with distillers grains, and turns out we learned a lot in that regard. So I think it made sense for us to revisit it. And then my last comment is, is that even though it's an age old ingredient, to be honest, beef operations, I would argue, don't do the best job of putting up silage. And so uh, if you're not going to do a good job putting up silage, don't put up silage. If you can't manage shrink and, and so on. And so we wanted to revisit that and help from an extension standpoint. And then and then the last thing was is, is we learned a lot on how we think to more accurately price silage. Wisconsin and Iowa have, um, have apps for uh, silage pricing uh, programs. And, uh, and we missed some things that I think that, that we've tried to help uh, adapt their, their pricing uh, programs. And so I think if you price it correctly, use it with distillers grains and put it up well, silage is a no-brainer, assuming you have the facilities and know-how. Mm -hmm. and, and as you're... As you're doing the silage research there at, at Nebraska, what percentage of silage is in that diet? Well, you know, again, most people from a finishing cattle standpoint think about silage as a roughage source. Okay, so putting low concentrations in the final diet and uh, it just provides the forage component. And that's all fine, but what's, what's interesting is we looked at feeding a traditional amount of of silage as a roughage source, which would be in that 10 to 15% of the diet. And then we started saying, well, maybe we should double or triple it. So a lot of our work is, is on a dry matter basis comparing feeding 10 to 15% to 30 to 45%. And again, that doesn't fit some of our large custom feeders out here in Nebraska, but it fits a lot of our smaller uh, private what's traditionally called farmer feeding operations. So if you own the acres and you own the cattle, um, we've proven, and I think others support that, that you can feed double or triple the amount of silage and make more money. Yeah. may not help performance. In fact, performance is usually a little bit lower in terms of gain and feed conversions. But again, it's, it's still making you more money at the end of the day. Now, the other thing we've looked at is how long to feed the cattle. So feed them a little longer. But when I was a kid, we'd feed cattle silage, and, you know, eventually they make it to market. 
It just takes <laughs> a little longer. And, uh, and their, their fatness is the same, their quality. Group. So we've done our due diligence to look at how does it fit in that whole system. But uh, my first choice for using silage would be in background and calves. So if you're buying five weight calves and you want to grow them to put some frame on them so they get bigger before they get too fat, Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great program. I, I'd, I'd recommend to anybody if they own the acres and they own the cattle, background calves from 500 to 900 pounds and feed them 80% silage in the diet, 15% distiller's grains, and then some supplement that's got the minerals in that they need. Um, you can't beat that for a backgrounding program. And so, right, so, so you're talking about the profitability feeding silage. Uh, increasing profitability, and I'm assuming that's at current corn prices, which are are still at a pretty pretty low point. Uh, yeah. So, what does that profitability look like now? And then, you know, what what would happen if we see a year where maybe corn gets expensive again? Yep. So we've done a lot of sensitivity analyses. So looking at three dollar, four dollar, and no one remembers the five dollar <laughs> corn, right? At least today. So even at $3 corn, which I think everybody can agree is kind of what the ballpark is currently, um, although I am nervous on, on some of the supply challenges that we may see from, from some of the recent events in Iowa and Illinois. Yeah. But um, if we just use $3 corn, we looked at feeding 15% silage versus 45. And in that scenario, you make 10 to 20 more dollars per head. Uh-huh. But if corn's at four or five dollars, that profit per head goes up in the forty to fifty dollars per head range by feeding silage the way we would recommend. Um, so it does it is influenced by corn price, and the cheaper the corn does get, the less this makes uh, a, a big difference in your bottom line. But even at three dollars, it is still uh, it's still a money making opportunity. Now that's looking at that finishing segment where if I compare feeding just lower inclusions of silage to maybe doubling or tripling it. The other thing I would add is having silage on hand uh, gives you some guarantee on supply. And this last spring when we saw the, the, the COVID disruptions and ethanol and, and ethanol production, you know, distiller supply was, was hard to find and you didn't like the prices at all. And so either you didn't have it at all because you ran out or what you had was pretty high priced. And so uh, that ebbs and flows every year. And, and, and that was maybe an extreme event. But every year, distiller's prices are high in the, in the winter and low in the summer. And you got to adjust your diets. So this is the same thing where you might adjust your diets with corn price. But if you have silage, you have some independence in, from those disruptions. And so we, t- we worry about resilience, resilience in our, in our definition is how do you, how do you, how do you react to those major disruptions? And I think silage gives you some resilience in your operation as well. Some yeah. of the limitations that you may be talking about, about operations, not being able to maximize the utilization of silage. Uh, do you see some changes coming there with, with, uh, with guys being able to broker some corn from some neighbor's fields, being able to handle silage, uh, either getting the equipment or custom, uh, custom operators beginning to be more prevalent in the area for beef guys? Uh, do you see that? Do you see a trend moving that way? 
Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people used to put up silage and maybe got away from it, but they still remember how to do it, or at least gets you know they they can relearn it. Um, but having the infrastructure is important. So, do you have a bunker yep. or not? Um, silos are fine. Generally, though, for for large quantities, won't be the the first choice. Again, you can bag it as well, but but again, for large operations, that may not be the first choice. So most people think bunkers. You can put up um, makeshift bunkers without concrete. If you have a concrete pad, that's even better from a shrink management standpoint. So there's a lot of issues related to infrastructure and how can I manage a silage pile. And there's good information uh, from some silage webinars we've done on how to construct piles and so on. But ultimately is, is do you have the equipment there is more custom operators um, my only concern and, and challenge for the custom approach is you may not get to dictate when they cut the silage um, and that's always a little concerning because I think we tend to get a little anxious at harvest time and they end up putting it up a little wetter than maybe I'd recommend I think there's an optimum time to start chopping silage and that's about 63 percent moisture maybe 64 and i think a lot of people start when it's 70 percent moisture in other words a little too wet um, so don't get too anxious for harvest so if you have your own equipment you got more flexibility on dictating that harvest time but uh that equipment's also pretty pricey so you know there's trade-offs on how to do this if i if i was going to do this and and make a 10-year plan i think getting your equipment and dictating when you harvest is a good approach but it depends on how much how much tonnage you can run through that equipment yeah yeah very good well uh you know at master's choice we had had heard of the work you were doing at nebraska with with silage and the beef operations for a while and uh we were fortunate enough uh here, I guess a few years ago or within a year ago, or maybe to, to do a study with you, uh, and looking at, you know, for us, we believe very strongly that there are differences in corn genetics and different corn genetics. Uh, we've proven very clearly on the dairy side, have a difference in how they feed and the efficiency in which they feed. Uh, so for us, we wanted to work with you to see if those, uh, genetic differences also would, uh, show themselves in, in a beef situation. Uh, so I think maybe if we, if you wanted to introduce that study, I know that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know we compared, uh, two master's choice hybrids, one that had, uh, had good fiber digestibility, but maybe not as good starch digestibility. And then, uh, another MC hybrid that was enhanced on grain, uh, on, enhanced on the grain side, the starch side and the, the fiber side, and then comparing that to a check. So correct me yeah. if I'm wrong there, but maybe kind of just tell us what that study was looking for. Yeah. You know, we, um, we did do a, a very structured research, um, program with you. We evaluated and grew those hybrids ourselves at our research facility. And just like you described, we had kind of a control, what we would normally put up, if you will. Um, your, uh, I'm going to call it fiber and starch enhanced yep. hybrid. And then, and then maybe an, an older one with, with maybe just fiber enhancement and, and not the starch focus. So I'll kind of use the word control and, and improved fiber and starch, and then maybe just the fiber one. Yep. But when we, we compared those in both a growing study, um, and in a digestion study to see how that kind of tracked through the cattle when we fed it. 
And I think that's useful because there's a lot of people that can put up uh, silage, and this is okay and recommended, but you can take a sample and send in the lab. And the lab sends you back information on that hybrid. And some of those lab tests are very useful. Um, and sometimes, though, they're not perfect at telling you exactly what the cattle will do. So I always joke, uh, cattle can't tell a lie, right? And so <laughs> our ultimate outcome is we feed it to the animal, and the animal tells us how good it was. So that's what we were doing, and um, turned out great, I think, in terms of how the trial was done. Uh, we saw that the best performing hybrid was your starch and fiber improved hybrid. Uh, had the best gain and best feed conversions in that growing study. We fed all the silages at 80% of the diet with 15% distillers and 5% supplement because remember that's what I said I'd recommend you should always do. Mm-hmm. And we grew them from 550 or 600 pounds I believe up to almost 1,000 pounds. So we were doing just what I was recommending for producers to grow cattle at. The, the, the best performing hybrid was your improved starch and fiber one. The poorest one was the one that that was just the fiber focused hybrid and maybe didn't have as good a starch characteristics. And our control was kind of halfway between those two. Yeah. And the differences were as large as a 10% change in in uh, feed conversion from the poorest to the best. So what's that tell me? That tells me that there's an opportunity on your end from a hybrid selection and improvement focus is a 10% improvement ultimately in performance just due to hybrid selection. So it's certainly something that, um, that if I'm a beef producer and farming that ground or buying that silage from my neighbor, hybrid selection is a very important criteria. You don't, you shouldn't just plant corn yeah. if you're going to put it up as silage and feed. In, in other words, I think there's a perception at times that yields number one and yields important. I'm not questioning that. Sure. But in this case, uh, selecting hybrids for better performance in the and how, especially if you know you're going to put it up for silage, is pretty critical. I want to say that we've done a lot of work, Dr. Erickson, at a lot of universities around the country in the past, primarily focused on dairy uh, and in a lot of research uh, facilities. And uh, in, in in all of those, uh, it was work with dairy. And we've been really trying to develop the new hybrids that are going to be specifically focused on on challenging us to be at most effective efficiency with beef. We've never had anyone perform a better trial than you did at at UNL. Uh, very professionally done, uh, just just spot on in in every in every in every element. And and I just want to say we're looking forward to more of the same uh, working with you there and in our. Our challenge as we step into more research into beef, uh, we feel very comfortable with the with the relationship that we're developing with you and your staff out there at UNL, the top top notch group, man. Appreciate that, yeah. And I I also uh, you know it's to me it's having good ideas, but um, and those are joint jointly developed all the time, right? But I always joke that uh, I know a lot of people that have great ideas, but um, don't necessarily follow that all the way through the process. And so we're blessed with great facilities. We're blessed with uh, great students and, and, and staff. But it's fairly simple. You know, you come up with an idea, you make a plan of what you're going to do, and then all you got to do is follow that plan. So I appreciate your comments. Um, um, and, and we do do a lot of research and we take it very serious and a lot of focus on it mostly for student training though in other words our goal is also 
that that ultimately there'll be people out in the industry then that have been uh, well trained to understand how to evaluate information and also well trained to help generate new information. But yeah, I appreciate that those nice comments. Yeah, I look forward to the relationship and and like I said, I think that that there's a lot of opportunity. So we're 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 promoting silage. But it's not because we have anything to gain. It's because right. I think it makes the most economic sense. And, and hybrid selection is a, a certainly a key part of that. Well, Dr. Erickson, this was a very, very good conversation for us. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, is there anything, any, any parts of that study that we missed? Or is there anything, any, any parting thoughts? Well, I guess I was remiss to say that we did the digestion work, but it tracked just like the performance work mm. and, and actually the, the starch and fiber digestibilities were improved and, uh, and the energy digestion getting out of that the cattle got out of it. So, no, it, it worked perfectly and kind of what we expected, but it documented what's the opportunity for selection. So, no, I and, and like we said, we, we've got a lot of different areas of research in this silage area and uh, look to continue that because we still have some unanswered questions. So just encourage people to follow uh, what we're doing. And if they want more general information on silage feeding and some of these economics that we discussed, uh, visit our website at beef.unl.edu and and certainly reach out to me or others in extension, including in your local states. Um, You know, we've worked a lot with with extension educators and, and personnel and Illinois and Iowa and Wisconsin. So I think, I think the word's out that silage is a good ingredient to be putting up, putting up correctly in beef operations. You did a, um, you did some really good, um, really good work in conjunction with Iowa State University in Lalleman putting out some uh, silage management um, uh, materials. And, and could you maybe touch on that, show people where they might be able to look that up if they missed them when they were yep. live? Yep, we we actually in 2016 put out put together a uh, what we call the Silage for Beef Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually hosted it at our research station. We're blessed there with a big auditorium and so on. And uh, room was overflowing. Lalamond and Iowa State University and, uh, and University of Nebraska Extension all teamed up because we think it fits a lot of these different areas in Iowa State. Dan Loy and others there uh, have been real supportive. We live streamed that. We had 180 people in, a, in live attendance, and then we recorded those sessions for download later. And then we also did a five-minute version because uh, probably today I could tell you everything I really should have told you in just five minutes, but we drag it on. Right? <laughs> um, so we've made all of our speakers give a five-minute version to their 45-minute talks. Um, so I'd encourage people to look at the five-minute ones, and uh, if there's something there that's interest, you know, you can watch the full version. That was successful, and Lalamon and Iowa State and us all thought that was a great idea. That's all posted and archived on our beef website, and it's easy to find if you just look under silage. Uh, 2018, we did a repeat, some new information that was added in 2018, and we had intentions to do that here in 2020, and um, obviously everybody's been more anxious and restricted and so on. So we decided to do a, a mini version and virtual. And there was four uh, uh, webinars as well as a few podcasts developed as part of that. And that's all available today on, on the beef.unl.edu site, Iowa State, Iowa Beef Center. And so if you're, if you're 
if you want to look at the Iowa State uh, work, it's posted there at the Iowa Beef Center, as well as Lalamon uh, Animal Nutrition, who obviously is very interested in this silage area and how to put it up correctly too. So, no, I think um, I think that we're doing our best and and getting that information out. And, but there's still people who have questions. So if you look at that material and you still have follow-up questions, again, reach out to to us. Happy to talk about it, as well as to you guys, I'm sure. Well, very good. As a as a good episode, we thank you for coming on, and uh, and maybe who knows, let's do this again someday. Yeah, I'd be happy to. All right, podcast audience, check out those uh, resources that uh, Dr. Erickson suggested. We'll put those in the description of the podcast in case you missed it. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next time. Oh,